0: Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. Today is Friday, June the 1st, 2018. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have Tiffany, Erica, Doug, and Gabby. Hey, guys. Good morning. Hi. Hello there. Hey. So uh, today, we are going to be talking about the absolute terror of losing one's mind uh, in the sense of uh, Alzheimer's and, and dementia. Um so just to shed some light on this topic, it's something we haven't really delved into before. Um, we've talked about mental illness uh, and certain aspects of dementia, but I think never fully about it. Um, That's it's surprising. A, it's a, yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty deep uh, topic. Um, so, and I wanted to start with uh, something that uh, I found interesting in thinking about this, if I can say this clearly. so. I had never like consciously made fun of Alzheimer's, you know, like, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, little, little jokes here and there, like, Oh, I forgot, you know, and, and making kind of like jokey things about it. But then uh, when we were talking before the show, I realized, or, you know, last week we were planning this out. Um, and uh, Tiffany, you had says it because you have some direct experience with this, that it's, that it's absolutely terrifying. And that there's yeah. like nothing funny about it. And so of course there's, something funny about everything in life right if you want to go that way with it but this is a very serious uh condition and it can be you know it, it completely unseat your reality uh so yeah, yeah well
1: as long as you know people just think of it as you know forgetting stuff here and there and being like funnily forgetful like you see on tv in the movies Like they have old person in the cast they kind of make fun of the fact that they forget everything and They might be a little senile in quotes, but um, yeah, it's, it's quite a sad thing to see. I'm not exactly 100% sure that the people like the patients that I've taken care of who had Alzheimer's are aware in the least of what is going on with them. I like to hope that they're not because it would be absolutely horrific if they were, but sometimes I suspect that they are at least sometimes they might get a little flash. That's just my guess, but Yes, yeah, it's, it's really sad mm-hmm. yeah. because it's not just, you know, forgetting stuff. I mean, you forget that, but you forget basically who you are. You forget your family. Uh, you can't take care of yourself eventually as the disease progresses. You, you lose control of your bowel and bladder or have to wear diapers and someone has to feed you. It's really, really sad. disease. Wow.
0: Yeah, there uh... <clears throat> And there's many, many levels of it too, right? I mean, there's early stages of Alzheimer's where it starts to kind of creep in. uh, um, You hear stories about people who have older family members who kind of start to have signals here and there, red flags about their behavior and stuff. But that was something I thought was really interesting about this too, that it's not just uh, that you forget where you are, but because you forget everything about yourself or most of the things about yourself, you you lose context for like how you would be in the world or how you'd react to anything else. So essentially you lose your personality. So it's just like, you're kind of like, in some cases, I think in extreme cases, you're like a blank slate. Like, where am I? Who who am I? What is this? What's happening right Mm -hmm. now? Like with enough awareness to ask questions, right?
2: Or your personality gets worse. Like, you know, maybe there's some rigidity decades before, where some mm-hmm. people are more prone to their peculiar anxiety problems, decades sure. before, and so forth.
0: Yeah, I was reading stories about um, you know meanness and, and uh, snappiness, and that a lot of people that suffer from Alzheimer's will become angry and kind of spiteful, uh, mm-hmm. and it's probably largely a result of the confusion, I would imagine.
1: Though sometimes, yeah. though, I suspected that their true essence is coming out. <laughs> because some of the patients that i've worked with are just the sweetest pie you know they're very nice and smiley and they seem kind of happy in their forgetfulness but other people are just mean slapping at you yelling screaming can be really bad and i think that you can tell too like when family comes to visit like the ones that were really nice and they were probably good parents to their adult children they all show up to visit, and then the really mean ones, Nobody. not very many visitors. <laughs> wow. So maybe they were mean all along, and the Alzheimer's just, you know, took the brakes off.
2: I once <clears throat> met a patient, you know, 96 years old. She was a uh, dev, uh, very religious. She was younger, mm. and her daughter was still very young, and her daughter was 60-something or so. And she could not stop saying bad words. You know, she had dementia.
0: <laughs> she
2: mm. will insult the nurse, me, but over and over and over again. That's that's all she said. That's all she was allowed, you know. That's all what was left. <laughs> it's like... Yeah.
3: It makes me wonder if, like, it is kind of just taking the brakes off. Like, something that they've been, like, kind of repressing their entire lives. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, it's, like, the dam breaks and it yeah. all comes gushing out i mean you know i don't have any evidence for that but it does make me
0: wonder yeah i've heard some interesting stories too about um you know uh the the total opposite of that where it's just kind of sweetness and light because maybe that's who that person was and they're forgetful uh and and they they you know they don't know where they are and they lose all these things and they're suffering from this disease but what's coming out of them is like whoa hey where am i like that more of an attitude than uh you know and snapping. That does seem to be less common. Hmm. Um, I had a friend once who ran into a woman who uh, was, uh, now I don't know how common or uncommon this is, but self-aware of her Alzheimer's. And he was trying to ask her directions. And she said, you know what? I have Alzheimer's, and so I, I can't and shouldn't tell you. I know if I go this way, we'll find somebody who can tell us what's happening. And that man was her uh-huh. husband. Uh-huh. You know, but she had like this wow. basic like kind of directional trigger kind of thing going on where he had run into her on the side of the road and she was like on the edge of their property um Hmm. so she she knew she had alzheimer's and that she had to find somebody else to help this person wow
3: that sounds Uh, pretty rare
0: yeah i would imagine
1: and i can imagine for someone like her with that little bit of awareness that she had it was probably even more scary because she knew sure what was happening yeah, you yeah,
0: know I that had, you're forgetting something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was Isn't interesting, interesting it? too.
3: Yeah. I was just gonna say it's interesting too because there was a, an article that we looked at for for preparation for the show that was saying that people who have like who are suffering from some cognitive decline, so I guess that would be like kind of precursors, or in some cases precursors to full blown dementia. People who have self awareness tend to be less likely to actually develop into full-blown dementia. So it it kind of seems like people who are having memory issues, who are aware that they're having memory issues, seem to have some protection there versus people who are completely oblivious to the fact that they're having this cognitive de- cognitive decline. So I found that sure. kind of interesting. It kind of seems like, I don't know if it would actually be protective to kind of like tr- try and develop that awareness, or if it's just kind of luck of the draw, and some people are kind of more aware than others.
4: Yeah, I mean, are we seeing an increase in it, or is it something that's been happening for the last 100 years and they just didn't have a name for it? Or,
3: Well, apparently, I did look into the history a little bit, and these plaques in the brain that are associated with Alzheimer's, um, beta amyloid plaque they're called, and those were discovered in 1906. So it's been with us for a little bit over than a hundred years, but mind you, I mean, it might've been, you know, just as rampant before that. And they just had never discovered these plaques before.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, they've been talking about dementia for, you know, centuries at least. Mm-hmm. So I guess some yeah. form of dementia has been around for that long.
0: Yeah. I would think of it as having been called madness back in the day, yeah. probably. Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: Well, do we want to get into some of these signs that maybe <clears throat> dementia might be coming your way? Because I've only ever worked with people who have already had it. I've never had any family members that developed it. And I can look back and say, oh, yeah, now that you mention it, this kind mm. of makes sense because they were like this or they did certain things that will kind of make sense as to why they developed Alzheimer's
4: Mm. so so just to clarify and I know I asked this before what is the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's or are they the same just Alzheimer's Alzheimer's is is just a form of uh, dementia
3: yeah like dementia is kind of the the general term and Alzheimer's is particularly the type that's associated with the buildup of those plaques
2: Maybe it's like the, the the most common or people are more aware about Alzheimer's, but there are other types of dementia, like mm-hmm. the type where you get like a stroke over the ears that actually cuts the blood flow to parts of your brain and you get dementia. Mm-hmm. There's also mm-hmm. Parkinson's disease, with, which with the ears, as the disease evolves, involves some dementia as well. There is uh Frontotemporal dementia, which is like a very aggressive form, like within months, people can deteriorate a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's mild cognitive uh dysfunction that precedes Alzheimer's or any other type. Yeah, <laughs> there are several <laughs> forms to lose your <laughs> mind. <It's the> advanced <laughs> stages of syphilis where you can
4: yeah. get dementia. Yeah.
0: Well, there. uh, sorry, I just lost my place here. I was looking at something. Oh, the the idea that, uh, you know, that brain health uh, could potentially mitigate some of this, uh, I think is important. And when you were talking about, you know, ways to kind of prepare for it, I think one would be, aside from just trying to exercise your mind, you know, uh, with your intellect and with thinking about certain things, but also supporting with your diet you know, things that mm-hmm. support the brain and support neural health.
2: Just to clarify, because there is a chatter that is asking, the plaques are probably a symptom, not a cause. Oh. Or maybe not even a symptom, <clears throat> because there was this famous study done in nuns. Nuns that were very active intellectually. They were solving puzzles all the time and always intellectually intellectually engaged. And they donated their brains to science. That is, when they died... Um, scientists made an autopsy to look at their brains, and they were full with plaques. You know, they have Alzheimer's brains. But they never mm. developed a disease while, while alive, you know.
3: Mm. Huh. Yeah. So, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, the connection between the plaques, you know, like at first it seemed like because the plaques often um, contain aluminum, you know, at first the thought was aluminum causes Alzheimer's. And then after a while, they were kind of like, no, the just because there's there's aluminum there, you know, and they, the the advice was like, you know, avoid uh, exposure to aluminum. But of course, that's like impossible. I think it's one of the most common elements on the planet, so actually trying to avoid it is is pretty much impossible. And then they were like, no, it's not the the aluminum itself; it's these plaques, that's what's causing it. And now I think you know, there's there's other all kinds of research on it and stuff, and and that is kind of losing. Um, it's appeal and people are like, well, you know, it's not necessarily the plaques. Um, the plaques might be actually just a symptom or, you know, some people will even say that the plaques maybe have a defensive capability and it's actually something else going on in the brain and the, the brain is actually forming these plaques as a means of, of defense. Mm-hmm.
2: So it's you know? it's
3: really not clear.
2: You know, the interesting thing about these plaques which are called amyloid beta plaques is like it's like protein material and people or scientists say that it prevents neurons from working properly. But the interesting thing is that there's an enzyme that breaks down these, pla- these plaques but the same enzyme is used to clear out insulin, you know, mm-hmm. insulin which gets stimulated by glucose in your blood. Uh, so. With all the rampant, you know, people are eating lots of carbohydrates, are stimulating insulin like crazy. So I think it is, this is one of the reasons why Alzheimer's is considered like a type three diabetes because it's like Mm -hmm. insulin resistance in the brain. You know, you have this enzyme, you know, very busy clearing out all the insulin. So all the plaques get accumulated, you know?
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's, that is definitely a key piece of the puzzle.
2: So it's like basically like seen, their
1: brains have no fuel.
2: Exactly. They've mm. seen that Alzheimer's brains, they have like impaired glucose uptake, mm-hmm. especially in the areas involved with memory and learning. And uh, since sugar cannot reach the brain, they have like this dysfunction, you know, this cognitive impairment you give them an alternative source of fuel, like ketones, you know, metabolism of fat. And then they light up again, like, you know, they're able to improve their cognitive function. So Mm -hmm. it's
3: pretty interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there have been stories about people taking coconut oil and having their uh, Alzheimer's symptoms not completely go away. But in some cases they said that it does, but at least the symptoms kind of get alleviated just with taking coconut
3: Mm. oil sure because and they attribute that to the fact that coconut oil the fats in coconut oil are converted to ketones quite readily by the body so you know it's funny because in the mainstream uh press because they don't really have any kind of deep insight in a lot of these health things they just said oh yeah coconut oil um you know cures alzheimer's or helps with alzheimer's or with dementia or something like that without actually looking into it more deeply and it's like well actually you know keeping your no, your normal diet your high sugar diet and taking coconut oil is probably not the most ideal solution to the problem mm-hmm. if they actually went ketogenic you know then then you might actually see like a real turnaround
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it makes sense I think even there's that small amount causing the improvement because I, I think we've all had the experience where you're either really thirsty and you just have a little bit of water and then all of a sudden you feel satiated or like, I know for myself sometimes I'll I'll remember that I haven't taken magnesium for like five days and I take one and immediately my body's like, Oh wow. You know, Mm. so if you're, um, you know, if your body is in need of something and you give it just a little bit of that, it starts to improve right away. Um, but I would think like MCT oil would be even better for that than, than just coconut oil.
3: Definitely. Yeah, because MCT is is refined so that the particular fats that are readily converted to ketones are, are what makes it up. So Yeah.
0: But yeah. then, like you said, you would want to be very careful that the person, presumably elderly person, was not having sugar and fat in parallel.
3: Well, I mean, you know, I, I guess if, if it's helping, you know, then it's good.
0: Right. But than uh, I mean, it's not, it's not, yeah, ideal. sure. Yeah, it's better sure. than nothing.
3: Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And staying away from things like canola oil, right? We, mm-hmm. There was just an article on SOD about how canola oil, claiming to be the healthiest of all oils, increases memory loss. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> researchers for the Alzheimer's Center at Temple University, they in- investigated, of course, they did it on mice, but um, that, that basically it, Causes more plaques and tangles, right? Because mm. it's that highly processed.
0: Mm.
4: It's oxalic. So you know
0: yeah. <laughs> well, it's like two it molecules away from plastic, isn't it? Uh, canola oil. Like when you heat it, it actually becomes similar molecularly to plastic.
2: Steel the oil that promotes oxidation for excellence, you know, that know, oxidation of your brain. I mean, and the mm-hmm. brain is the most vulnerable organ for uh, to oxidation. So yeah. yeah, you can see why saturated fat is good for the brain, and why canola oil will just like burn it up. You know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Tiff, you were talking about signs, and yeah. one of the articles we were looking at, I thought it was kind of interesting, was the uh, the gait uh, of walking that your, you know, your style yeah. of walking or your gait can indicate early onset of dementia or Alzheimer's. Um, But in reading the article, it looks like that it's, it it, it mainly seems like it refers to motor function. Mm -hmm. And they're interpreting gait as kind of like the the most easily observable one.
1: Yeah, as Uh, long as there's no reason, like you have a bum knee or something that throws your gait off. But they said like, if your walking pattern is slower and less controlled, like if you're wobbly or if you sway back and forth, and there's nothing wrong with your legs physically, then it's probably more of a sign that there's something wrong with your brain.
0: Yeah, yeah. sure.
3: They did a, a, another study. They talked about a couple of studies in that article, but one of them they were talking about, they had them doing like a mental task. I think they were, they were counting backwards from 50 in twos. So, and, <clears throat> and if they were doing that while walking, you know, normally people can kind of do that kind of mental task and walk at the same time you know it's like chewing gum and walking at the same time but apparently people who had this this uh you know precursor to uh, dementia were not able to do it they would they would either be stumbling with the numbers or they would kind of like their their gait would get all kind of mixed up and they'd stumble so it's
2: part of the executive functions of the brain so What it's interesting is that I will guess that these people will otherwise be fine. You know, this is a test that they did Mm -hmm. and they saw some anomalies. I often was surprised myself, um, um, you know, to see elderly people fill out the questioners that screen for cognitive decline. And Mm -hmm. uh, they will otherwise, you know, look very sharp, like, you know, fine. And they will do the test and they will not be able to do it. even simple tasks, as like drawing a clock, you know, a normal mm. clock with, uh, with their arrows showing that it's 1110. Uh, They're told to, to mark in the clock that it's 1110 or 1130 and they will not be able to do that. And I was like, wow.
1: Huh. Yeah, because they might seem okay when you're talking to them, but if yeah. you don't know them and you don't know how true what they are saying, Uh, They could be Mm. just confabulating, just making stuff up. And if you don't know their history or anything, you just believe what they say. But if you actually give them a test, it all Mm. comes out.
4: And what's the test, like a blood test or just a... It's just
1: like a written test, you and the therapist or the doctor sitting down.
2: Though they are making more blood tests now, uh, um, you know, recently as part of the protocols, like testing for these alphabeta plaques and so forth. But, mm. yes, there's a lot of cognitive tests that are questioners and so forth, and it does remind me of um, a man that used to be like a champion in chess, you know, and he noticed that he had cognitive decline because he could not think ahead of six, eight moves that he had in his brain all the time. It's like, uh-huh. well, that is very subtle, but yeah, congratulations, yeah. I cannot even play chess. You
0: know, like, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's something interesting regarding the uh, the physical side of the disease, like we're talking about, another one of the articles we were looking at was about uh, Alzheimer's being caught. Can you catch Alzheimer's? Yeah. Uh, and they they do suggest, although I don't think there's any hard proof around this, that there's some evidence that the plaques, although like, like we were talking about, it's debated as to what function they, you know, w- what they do in this whole uh, system, but uh, that they can be split, uh, spread through blood transfusions. Um, yeah. Yeah, they and I don't know. That that,
3: like, they discovered that, that one. This, this, this is one of those crazy, like psychotic um, medical <laughs> tests experience. that they do. Yeah, yeah they, took, they took two mice, and one of them, apparently, mice don't actually form these plaques. So they've genetically modified this one mouse to be able to produce, to be able to, to like, they force it to produce these plaques, basically. <clears throat> and then they sew it, like, they, they fuse it to another mouse so that they share a blood supply yeah yeah so they they, they're sharing a blood supply and so the one is genetically modified to produce these plaques and the other one is not and they're like oh the plaques started building up in the other mouse too and it's kind of like well what have you proved there really (laughs) that's just insane yeah like yeah okay (laughs) you, you force them to share a blood supply and the one ended up developing the plaques as well it's like that's not really showing anything no not really but
1: they hypothesize that maybe it's prions or prions like these teensy little viral particles that are found in like mad cow disease or something, or Jacob Crutzfeld's disease. And they think that the prions could be, uh, could be one of the reasons why people develop Alzheimer's and they Mm -hmm. suspect that maybe you could get it from a blood transfusion or you could get it from like contaminated surgical instruments.
2: I even read it was well, worse. Like, there was there are hypotheses that, you know, link <laughs> Alzheimer's disease with common infections, viral infections, like herpes zoster, you know, mm-hmm. the herpes family, mononucleosis virus, Epstein-Barr. There were yeah. actually some very compelling studies linking Alzheimer's disease and these viruses that we all have. So, there you go. Yeah,
3: even periodontal disease as well was another one. <laughs> But uh, yeah, and it's interesting, too, because it kind of goes back to the idea that these uh, plaques might actually be protective because apparently they have antimicrobial properties that they're actually quite efficient at killing off microbes. So if it did turn out that there was some kind of like contagious aspect to Alzheimer's, then maybe the, the plaques are actually, you know, trying to defend against them.
2: So it's like a correlation, kind of like cholesterol in a, in atherosclerosis mm-hmm. and you know cardiovascular disease. It's like the mm. firefighters trying to calm down the fire; they're not actually to blame.
3: Yeah, <laughs> they're not the arsonists.
0: Well, um, drugs too, right? In the in the vein of what we're talking about, that uh, that prescription drugs could be causing dementia, especially when mm-hmm. people get into old age and they're on a protocol of like six or even more different drugs.
1: Yeah, I think it's yeah. in court. Or maybe it's- 14 drugs <laughs> Right, or sure. like that. Yeah, but but a least. lot of the uh, um, mental health medications, like antidepressants, have been implicated in causing cognitive decline. I know benzos. that. Benzos. Uh, yeah, benzos and um, antipsychotics mm-hmm. can actually cause brain shrinkage, and they see brain shrinkage in the brains of people who have Alzheimer's and dementia. And don't they give call them...
4: antipsychotics to people in late
1: mm, stages?
4: Yes, <laughs> they do just to sedate them. So not, only the, it's
1: easier to manage. not
2: only late stages, also you know, young people are getting are taken antipsychotics just to fall asleep. You know, mm-hmm. they call Jeez. them chemical lobotomies.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow! Oh my God, Ambien too is is on the rise. The use of of Ambien I was reading about that recently and surprised at just how many people are using it on a regular basis like way more than it's suggested to be used yeah and uh i think it came up in the news because of that roseanne bar yeah story <laughs> yeah it um, was the ambient yeah
1: well plus when you get old your liver is not as good as at clearing out medications mm-hmm. from your bloodstream so you're taking a bunch of medications and they just build up in your system because you can't flush it out as well because you're old and your organs are old. Your liver and your kidneys are old. That's why um, a lot of old people when they take something like Xanax or other benzodiazepines, it might actually cause the opposite effect. Like it's supposed to calm them down, but they become very, very agitated. Some of them do.
4: Hmm.
2: Yeah, that happens with me with gabba. Flabby <laughs> <Like, laughs> liver. I will not live to be to an old age, you know. And people, you know, they say, "Oh, it's great because we're living these many years that never happened before." That's questionable, you know. But look <clears throat> at how we're getting, you know, till ninety years old, ninety-six. We're completely like, you know. Yeah the,
1: yeah, they're the not, worst it's, it's possible old years <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> no more good old years like everybody you know that works with um in the healthcare system you know everybody says the comment I'd rather die younger than live to an old age like that
0: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah well and I don't I mean I have my doubts that it's even that common now it, more so in the western world than the United States specifically uh that 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 many people are living to be that old. Everybody I know recently who has passed away has been in their, you know, maybe 70s at the oldest. And I think if you top 95, you make the news. No. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah.
2: I think think that's interesting. I do live in Spain, which is the country with the, you know, the longest longevity. It is the the, uh, oldest longevity in whole Europe, that's for sure. But Mm -hmm. more and more I hear stories, yeah, like stories I hear from, north america and stuff like wow it's like you know it not only speaks about you know leaving the elderly totally vulnerable to the negative effect of the healthcare system but also the quality of life it sounds so bad you know
3: yeah but the (laughs) the crazy thing is though is that they do talk about like dementia and alzheimer's it's like it's almost considered just a natural part of aging it's like Mm -hmm. oh yeah your brain's just running down you know which I think is just nonsense. I mean, it's pretty clear to me that, you know, if you, if you look at kind of like old stories and things like that, it's like, you know, a person who was crazy in their old age was not a common thing, right? It's like, you know, the, it wasn't that if you lived long enough, your brain would just give out on you. It's kind of people stayed sharp until the day they died. Mm-hmm. So I I really don't buy the whole myth of kind of like, you know the whole thing about oh, it's a senior's moment. Oh yeah, you're having a senior's moment, and that's that's just a thing. That's just like oh yeah, your brain doesn't work anymore because you're old. I don't buy it. I think that yeah, I, I wonder... think that you should be sharp right up until the day you die.
2: It's mm-hmm. the wisest generation. You no, know? in certain tribes, mm-hmm. the elderly were highly regarded because of their yeah. experience and their knowledge.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think we've begun to associate dementia more with old age than wisdom?
4: Yeah in the u s yeah. for sure,
3: <laughs> yeah, and I think yeah, it's just, just the it accumulation of like of of all the bad crap that people do to themselves over the course of the years, their bad diet, bad environmental exposures, all that stuff it just it yeah. it, it, it wears on the brain, and that's not a natural part of aging. that's like a natural part of being toxic it's
2: and compounded, it's also, the, it's, compounded. Mm. it's also the stress, it literally burns you know areas yeah. of your brain um Related with memory and learning, the hippocampus, you know. You mm-hmm. have all this cortisol pumping up all the time throughout all your life. No wonder many, my, maybe that that's maybe the reason why people have, like, personality changes, take it some before. They yeah. just cannot regulate their emotions. They're just like, you know, fight or flight all the time, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, one of the other articles we looked at was talking about uh, desk jobs contributing to early onset of dementia, and I think it basically boils down to that: is the stress, lack of you know se- the sentient lifestyle, mm. uh, or well, not being sentient, sedentary, and <laughs> sedentary, not having a lot of <laughs>
4: circulation to the brain, maybe controlled environments, too, lighting and yeah. air quality, and yeah, screens and Wi-Fi sure. and cell phones. But in sleep, <laughs> we were just
0: yeah. we were just talking about sleep. You know, I imagine that's a huge contributor. Yeah. It and is. So your brain deteriorating early if you're not getting that restful, you know, time and having the toxins cleared out and stuff. Well, yeah. Yeah. that's what's
4: reading
1: REM sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what he
4: had in that book, right? The I can't remember his name now, Matthew Walker. <laughs> Thank Matthew you. Walker. That's yeah. If you don't get enough REM sleep, your
1: brain will like basically just force you to dream while you're waking or while you're Mm -hmm.
2: a dream like life it's crazy yeah Yeah, but if you're not
1: sleeping well enough either like (laughs) if you're not getting that deep sleep during that time when your glymphatic system is supposed to be Mm -hmm. cleaning out all the waste in your brain so if that stuff builds up i can see why it would cause some dysfunction
2: but there are yeah. some studies showing that uh, if you sleep more than nine hours, there's it's correlated with dementia, and they were saying yeah. that maybe it was not because you were sleeping too much. It's maybe because you had a lack of REM sleep, so you had all mm. these many hours to you know make up for it. That was mm. related to it.
0: Well, he huh. Walker did say that it was the the window was seven to nine hours, so that would track if you're mm. going to try not to get more than nine. Yeah.
1: Sometimes I wonder, though, like on more of a, a spiritual level, perhaps, and maybe you know, this is not the case, I'm just speculating here, but people who kind of reject knowledge or reject thinking or trying to solve problems or trying to improve themselves cannot have an effect on the brain and lead to some, some kind of cognitive impairment like dementia. Yeah, like people who sure. spend most of their time just vegging out, watching TV, mm-hmm. don't really challenge themselves. Don't try to learn new things.
0: Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, that's what, it. yeah. I mean, it, there's the old cliche of like when you're thinking hard about something, somebody goes, "ow," oh. you know, like it hurts to mm-hmm. think. You know, it's painful to think. <laughs> yeah, um, I wonder but if. No, I, um, Oh, sorry, sure. I was just going to say, like, I, I know that there is some, I, I mean, I anecdotally, I, I'm, I believe this 100%. Um, scientifically, uh, I'm not so sure, but um, the, uh, the idea that your attitude can contribute to physical disease so that people might say, hypothetically, you get cancer because they're very knotted up and repressed and they, they're full of hate mm-hmm. or spite, you know, for other people. And, and that manifests later in their life. So I'd imagine a very similar thing. Uh, if that is the case, could happen with your brain. Uh, And if you're not, you know, good at dealing with things or if you have, you know, repressed stress and emotions, it probably is, I mean, the body is a synergistic system, right? So that what you're thinking manifests physically and vice versa. Mm -hmm. You know, because what you're thinking determines how your body is reacting and then how your body is reacting to what you're putting into it or what's around you determines your ability to think. So it's all tied Mm -hmm. together so i think if you're you know yeah if you're um <clears throat> this is a really bad i guess a, a for lack of a better term like a shallow person you know yeah. who doesn't who doesn't think very deeply or doesn't even try then yeah perhaps there's a higher chance
2: they don't want to yep. use their brain
0: right yeah so it's yeah. not to get down on like you know quote unquote dumb people or like calling anybody dumb i think this is more of a
3: it's like a lazy. case of,
0: of choice it's laziness, mm. yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, it's interesting though because they they have kind of um there there are some kind of researchers out there who have correlated particular personality types for lack of a better term, or maybe more like uh person- personality attributes that correlate with particular disease states, so it's like the one I, I always think of is like people saying that somebody who has um something like, uh, like Parkinson's, Um, you know, they're, they tend to be like very rigid people, you know, they don't have any give uncompromising, very kind of, uh, you know, not, not kind of fluid and go with the flow, but very, very kind of strict. So I could see like, you know, there could be somebody who's maybe more of a rigid thinker or something like that, who isn't open to new, new ideas or new thoughts that, you know, that would kind of correlate to uh, To some kind of dementia, like that, that you know you're not open to new information, so therefore you don't have the ability to be anymore. you don't even, can't even use the yeah. information you've got
0: You know what every time I think about this too, I, I always think about Dick just because he, you know he's uh, he's you still think alive of Dick Cheney. yeah oh. yeah. Uh, when you think about like the you know mind over matter, like the, the body and your life manifesting what's in your heart and your mind, like he's still alive. And he's has gone through, like, five different hearts.
4: Interesting, he has a steady supply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. So everybody I guess waits it's not... for ears on the waiting list.
2: <laughs> I
4: oh, I guess probably... I need another one.
0: Yeah. Burn <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. that one out. <laughs> I guess the, fa- the fact that he's alive doesn't really... Point to his health necessarily so that's not, maybe evil. not yeah
4: is he alive
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah he's been kept alive <laughs> so. reanimated but you do I, in a I, I do area. find that like <laughs> occasionally it's not so often but occasionally we'll run into somebody who is like older say 60s 70s uh, in good health and just a total asshole pardon my French you know what I mean uh, so but I, I think that that's less common actually Mm. I think usually the people who have that kind of attitude about life are, are not in good health. Their body has reflected what their mind is doing.
2: There's a, there's a chatter. of how much of a role does depression play in causing older people to stop being interested in learning and keeping active? I don't mm-hmm. know. I read this study. that was saying that people at 65, if they had depression, they were at more risk of, develop, of developing cognitive decline. They were yeah. wondering it was already part of the disease, you know, a manifestation of the disease or was it a predisposition? I don't know.
3: Yeah, it's hard to say because it, it, apparently it is very correlated. Like a lot of people with um, dementia are also depressed. Mm-hmm. So it is it is kind of difficult, I think, to tease it apart. It's like, were they depressed first and that led to the disease? Or is it the other way around that the disease mm-hmm. has kind of caused this depression?
4: And have they given up on that spark of life,
3: that
4: mm. sense of well, adventure that, and learning and yeah, challenging I yourself?
0: Dep- I think depression probably runs in parallel with all the other stuff that leads up to Alzheimer's. You know, what I mean, so as you say that you've lived a life in such a way that you are have you know toxified your body, or you mm-hmm. got the bad genetic roll of the dice, or whatever the story is, um, you know, and then you get to that. Point. Uh, see, oh, <laughs> I am ironically losing my train of thought right now. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> well,
2: I wanted to, yeah, I think, yeah, there's like, we've talked about the personality changes a little bit about the diet, but mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up this uh, program, health program for Alzheimer's patients. It was published in a mainstream journal, and it was so successful that, well, it was only 10 participants. But nine of them basically improved in so much that, you know, some of them went back to work again, you know, like. And basically Mm. what they did was, yes, cut down on simple carbs and basically follow like a low glycemic, low in sugar diet. Mm. They also did a little bit of intermittent fasting. You know, they ate in a window of 12 hours per day. Mm -hmm. They did stress reduction, either yoga, meditation, you know, some sort of stress reduction technique. They got eight hours of sleep at night, you know, either with supplements, natural supplements like melatonin. But uh, that was very important, important in the program. They did exercise a few times per week. They got brain stimulation, crosswords, you know, that kind of, you know, brain stimulation. They optimized their vitamin D levels and their vitamin B levels. Through supplementation, and uh, they also ate a uh, diet rich in antioxidants like blueberries, turmeric. They had some probiotics and prebiotics, and they were um, their hormone balance, like thyroid hormones, were optimized as well. Uh, and they also uh, had fish oil supplements. That's mm. basically other. Um, they did have also sorry like mitochondrial function supplements you know anything any supplement that you know boosts mitochondrial function and they had, had mct oil so it was a pretty holistic program but you had mm. incredible incredible results like everybody was like wow we could actually reverse alzheimer's kind of thing you know
3: <laughs> yeah Like, it's actually amazing that that didn't get more attention than it did because it's it's like the The party line on it still is that, oh, yeah, Alzheimer's, there's no cure for it. We can give you medications that'll help and they'll kind of slow it down. But, you know, once Alzheimer's, once it's kicking in, there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, these these researchers kind of like completely turn the tables on that. Mm -hmm. You know, and this is all stuff that we've been talking about and thinking about for a long time. And, you know, all the different uh, supplementation and lifestyle changes and stuff just for good health in general. And these guys Mm -hmm. apply it to a particular uh, condition dementia and they have this kind of result it's like wow that's pretty amazing there's no
4: drugs involved (laughs) no (laughs) no
3: drugs you still supplement the lifestyle changes
1: and really the drugs that they already have for dementia they don't do anything (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly
4: and gabby in your article you also mentioned photobiomodulation
2: yeah, I added in there because there's all these studies showing how you basically when you use near far infrared light in the spectrum between six hundred fifty and eight hundred fifty nanometers, it basically sparks people's brain, you know. People that you when we made a show about this, you know, Alzheimer's patients that couldn't couldn't even fed themselves, they suddenly suddenly started eating, you know, <laughs> with their own yeah. hands, you know. It's great yeah. to see.
1: Yeah, and you don't have to have one of those special wacky hats with the lights coming out (laughs) of it. When you sell those lights on Amazon, you can just shine it on your head.
2: Yeah. Yeah, people are making their own devices at home with a bucket, and they lined up all the lights and connected to electrical (laughs) electricity, and there you go.
1: Or they have those little nasal things that shine the red light light. Yeah, they use them allegedly for uh, allergies where you can shine the light up your nose and (laughs) let it hit your brain. Yeah.
2: Now listen to this testimonial, you know, somebody who tried photobiominal modulation who had Parkinson's disease. I recovered my sense of smell. My writing is now firm and concise. My gait has improved and I can climb stairs. So, yeah. interesting well speaking of smell
1: (laughs) there's been a few articles that we carried on sat about people who have alzheimer's or dementia who cannot smell or either they can't smell it or they can't identify what that particular smell is but peppermint fish orange rose uh, leather peanut butter and they say that it's based on the memory of the smell, being able to you know, articulate what it is that you're smelling, not necessarily losing your sense of smell. But in that testimony, you just said the person said that they got their sense of smell back. So I don't know yeah. which one it is, but I thought that was weird that that was one of the signs that Alzheimer's might shock yeah. if you can't identify certain smells.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, if somebody tells you that they smell peppermint and you can't smell it, <laughs> time, to get it. It's time to get it. Yeah,
2: yeah. or oh, don't be hard on them. I have already Alzheimer's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, The uh, that is an interesting thing. I've always kind of heard the, again, with the kind of casual jokes that uh, if you think you're having a stroke, that you say you smell toast. Current so, toast. Yeah. So, would be like, Uh Uh-oh, I smell
4: toast.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's another... Go ahead.
2: Well, I was going to say the study that really blew me away was how working your leg muscles helps to grow healthy new brain cells. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. apparently, if you have weak uh, leg muscles, you know, you can restrict the growth of of your brain cells by 70%.
3: Whoa. Yeah. It's cr- it's kind of crazy too because it, it seems like the whole exercise thing is controversial. Yeah. Like uh there's been a number of studies that have said like yeah, exercise is definitely good for, you know, staving off dementia, uh, you know. And it makes sense too when you think about the whole connection with the gait um and that movement clearly is very important like it's part of kind of using your brain. But there was a study that came out where they they had people with all with I don't know if it was just dementia or specifically Alzheimer's but they were doing they put them in an exercise routine and basically they found that it didn't do anything and in mm-hmm. fact even found that there might be that there might actually be negative effects in some people so it's weird though so I don't know if maybe the type of exercise is important or maybe there might even some kind of flaw in this study I don't know but uh, it read, sounds like Go ahead
2: I didn't read the actual study I report and apparently these people are going to the gym like four to six times per week and no. they were there like 60 to 90 minutes so i don't know what they were doing i would imagine that maybe they were just pumping cortisol fight or flight response all the time that not that doesn't uh, necessarily yeah.
1: improve that was my health. guess yeah like yeah, what kind right. of exercise yes. are they doing are, you, are they doing chronic cardio all those times a week yeah that just stress them out even more
3: yeah yeah, it definitely could be that. I mean, if they were doing actual resistance exercise, maybe maybe that's the key. I mean, mm-hmm. they do. There there is that one study that says if you exercise your legs muscles, like that's kind of, uh, you know, resistance training. One would assume. So yeah, maybe that's building the key. up
2: muscle. Building up muscle, yeah. which builds up mitochondria, which builds up brain cells. You know.
3: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
4: Well, especially since those muscles in your legs too are the largest in the body. You yeah. know, So is there a a, a correlation between the two, like keeping that the leg muscles strong, keep your brain strong. You know.
1: Or maybe mm-hmm. it could also be like the brain power that's needed to do coordinated movements. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. This is right. a
1: form of brain exercise, not just muscle exercise.
2: Mm-hmm. And also sure. muscle is the primary, because it's really a muscle, not an organ. <laughs> uh where glucose where sugar is dumped when you have insulin resistance like Mm -hmm. you have such a long deposit of sugar and adipose tissue in your muscles when you have insulin resistance
0: Mm. Mm. well i mean it sounds like really just keeping your body in tune is the Mm -hmm. way to go right just overall
1: well one study says you could also smoke pot (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> you will forget
2: that you're forgetting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a, well, funny. they did this in uh, mice, of course. <laughs> but um, they said that the low doses of THC found in marijuana for these particular mice, they gave them the THC and it they performed better on a water maze. Now, yeah. I don't know if that will really apply to human beings.
0: Yeah. Or how does that indicate preventing Alzheimer's deterioration? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It might have just been an more fascinating for with old the maze.
3: stoners to keep smoking. <laughs> sure, <laughs> it
0: helps with my Alzheimer's,
3: man. <laughs> it's kind of counterintuitive, though, given what uh, Matthew Walker was saying about uh, sleep and the importance mm-hmm. of REM sleep, and he was also talking about how. Um, Marijuana actually interferes with sleep, and that it keeps you from experiencing r e m sleep so it's kind of like it's it's counterintuitive because if if you know sleep issues can can lead to although that's speculative but lead to dementia or dementia yeah. in and of itself causes these sleep disturbances, then how would taking something that also interferes with your sleep be beneficial
1: right and maybe it just depends on the dose they use low dose but I guess you shouldn't be sitting around all day low dosing (laughs) or high dosing all day long.
3: (laughs) You need homeopathic THC.
2: (laughs) It would be interesting to see some studies with a non psychoactive component.
4: So Mm. the (laughs) CBD.
2: CBD oil, yeah. Yeah. Mm
4: -hmm. What about caffeine?
0: Uh, yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> controversial too. Yeah, a, out. It helps, it doesn't help.
3: Yeah. The problem is I that like most, to... I think all of the studies, maybe, maybe not all of them, but, but most of the studies that I've seen that have talked about caffeine um, are all observational studies. So mm-hmm. they just kind of ask people, how much coffee do you drink a day? And then they mm-hmm. take the population and say, well, the people who drank the most coffee had the least, uh, least Alzheimer's. And it's like, well, you know there's so many confounding factors that could actually be you know involved there that you can't really say yeah. that therefore coffee prevents alzheimers like it doesn't you you can't make that kind of
0: yeah. you, correlation you could actually say that the the people who admitted how much coffee they actually drank were honest and they probably have a lesser <laughs> occurrence of mental deterioration because they're honest <laughs> so that many confounding be. factors yeah <laughs>
1: But so many billions of people all over the world drink coffee. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I don't know if you can it's use really, that as a yeah, baseline or anything. Really.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be working.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just making sure. <laughs> Drinking coffee, just in case.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, hey, let's. We have a really interesting uh, pet health from Zoya today about uh, elephants and memory so go dovetails with what we're talking about so let's check that out and then uh, we'll wrap it up when we come back okay
2: hello and welcome to the pet hill segment of the health and wellness show this week's topic is why elephants never forget it's a common saying that elephants never forget But the more we learn about elephants, the more it appears that their impressive memory is only one aspect of an incredible intelligence that makes them some of the most social, creative, and benevolent creatures on Earth. Listen to the following recording to learn more about that. Have a great weekend and goodbye.
5: It's a common saying that elephants never forget but these magnificent animals are more than giant walking hard drives. The more we learn about elephants, the more it appears that their impressive memory is only one aspect of an incredible intelligence that makes them some of the most social, creative, and benevolent creatures on Earth. Unlike many proverbs, the one about elephant memory is scientifically accurate. Elephants know every member in their herd, able to recognize as many as 30 companions by sight or smell, This is a great help when migrating or encountering other potentially hostile elephants. They also remember and distinguish particular cues that signal danger, and can recall important locations long after their last visit. But it's the memories unrelated to survival that are the most fascinating. Elephants remember not only their herd companions, but other creatures who have made a strong impression on them. In one case, Two circus elephants that had briefly performed together rejoiced when crossing paths 23 years later. This recognition isn't limited to others of their species. Elephants have also recognized humans they've bonded with after decades apart. All of this shows that elephant memory goes beyond responses to stimuli. Looking inside their heads, we can see why. The elephant boasts the largest brain of any land mammal, as well as an impressive encephalization quotient. This is the size of the brain relative to what we'd expect for an animal's body size, and the elephant's EQ is nearly as high as a chimpanzee's. And despite the distant relation, convergent evolution has made it remarkably similar to the human brain, with as many neurons and synapses in a highly developed hippocampus and cerebral cortex. It is the hippocampus strongly associated with emotion that aids recollection by encoding important experiences into long-term memories. The ability to distinguish this importance makes elephant memory a complex and adaptable faculty beyond rote memorization. It's what allows elephants who survived a drought in their youth to recognize its warning signs in adulthood, which is why clans with older matriarchs have higher survival rates. Unfortunately, it's also what makes elephants one of the few non-human animals to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. The cerebral cortex, on the other hand, enables problem-solving, which elephants display in many creative ways. They also tackle problems cooperatively, sometimes even outwitting the researchers and manipulating their partners. And they've grasped basic arithmetic, keeping track of the relative amounts of fruit in two baskets after multiple changes. The rare combination of memory and problem solving can explain some of elephants' most clever behaviors. But it doesn't explain some of the things we're just beginning to learn about their mental lives. Elephants communicate using everything from body signals and vocalizations to infrasound rumbles that can be heard kilometers away. And their understanding of syntax suggests that they have their own language and grammar. This sense of language may even go beyond simple communication. Elephants create art by carefully choosing and combining different colors and elements. They can also recognize 12 distinct tones of music and recreate melodies. And yes, there is an elephant band. But perhaps the most amazing thing about elephants is a capacity even more important than cleverness, their sense of empathy, altruism, and justice. Elephants are the only non-human animals to mourn their dead, performing burial rituals and returning to visit graves. They have shown concern for other species as well. One working elephant refused to set a log down into a hole where a dog was sleeping, while elephants encountering injured humans have sometimes stood guard and gently comforted them with their trunk. On the other hand, elephant attacks on human villages have usually occurred right after massive poachings or cullings, suggesting deliberate revenge. When we consider all this evidence along with the fact that elephants are one of the few species who can recognize themselves in a mirror, it's hard to escape the conclusion that they are conscious, intelligent, and emotional beings. Unfortunately, humanity's treatment of elephants does not reflect this as they continue to suffer from habitat destruction in Asia, ivory poaching in Africa, and mistreatment in captivity worldwide. Given what we now know about elephants, and what they continue to teach us about animal intelligence, it is more important than ever to ensure that what the English poet John Dunn described as nature's great masterpiece does not vanish from the world's canvas.
1: Did she say there were elephant bands? Yeah. Like musical yeah. bands? I wanna yeah. see that.
3: Yeah. That's something to YouTube later. That would be cool.
1: The elephants live in concert.
0: <laughs> well that was really cool. Um Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. There's that story that always fascinated me about the guy who worked with elephants who passed away and the herd that he worked with traveled like two hundred miles. Oh you know, and then nobody went and told him that he died obviously they just showed up after he died and they were all just kind of standing there. And to me, to me, that's a uh, incredible evidence for the connection that's there. I don't know how you could shoot that down. I mean, I feel like you'd have to be pretty close minded, but. Cold and heartless. Yeah. (laughs) You're probably on on
4: their dead. I mean, that's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, it is. Well, um, that's our show for today. So, uh, thanks everybody for tuning in and for everybody who is taking part in the chat. Uh, be sure to tune into the SOT radio show on Sunday at noon Eastern Time. Go to radio.sot.net for that. And we'll be and back. Saturday. Oh, and there's Saturday. Saturday. Yeah,
3: there's a Saturday show too. So, tune into Thank that you. one too.
0: Thank you. Both Here's of a them. Perspective. <laughs> okay, so we'll be back next week uh, with a new topic, and we'll see everybody then.
1: Everyone. Goodbye everyone. Bye. Bye.
4: Bye.